Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. This podcast is funded by the Chartered College of Teaching and listeners like you. To support our work and to gain access to exclusive content, check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash learning scientists. Hi, I'm Dr. Jana Weinstein, a professor at UMass Lowell. And I'm here with Dr. Alex Chemesian, who's not a doctor. <laughs> yes, you are a doctor. I actually, I actually, I actually am, but I, haven't, I don't even feel comfortable calling myself that yet. I'm one kind of doctor. I'll be two doctors next year, but it's okay. Well, and that's, that's pretty cool. So tell us about that. You're an MD, PhD student at Duke University in North Carolina. Tell us about how that works, the whole MD, PhD thing. It's always seemed really overwhelming to me. Sure, it's for people who can't make up their minds. Uh, it's so basically you do medical school and you do uh, a PhD so you do graduate school almost always in a biomedical science but there are other people who do things in like social sciences increasingly you do part of med school so you do the first couple years of med school at Duke we do the classroom year and then the clinical year and then all your classmates keep going forward and you take a detour and you go into graduate school and you do your PhD for generally four to five years, which is like kind of average time for a biomedical PhD. And then you and then you come back, you finish the end of medical school, and then you move on to whatever it is you want to do, uh, like anyone else. But it's not continuous; uh, it's it's uh, staggered like that. So, what stage are you at right now? So I just so I'm eight years in, almost at the end. I finished my PhD. Uh, two months ago and I'm in the last year of medical school and I'm planning to go on to residency in uh, a field called physical medicine and rehabilitation uh, starting uh, next year. So right now you're a doctor in the sense that I'm a doctor but you're not that kind of doctor in the sense that you're not a medical doctor. That's right. I got my PhD but I'm not yet a full-fledged physician but hopefully soon enough. Wow that sounds like a lot. (laughs) So On this journey, you've had to learn a lot of information. And I hear that you have been using effective evidence-based strategies. Can you tell us a little bit about how you found or discovered those strategies and started using them for yourself? Sure, yeah, well, so uh, I wish you all were having the Learning Scientist uh, blog and podcast when I started out, but uh, I started medical school in 2010 and you know i was i was i was a solid student in undergrad like most people who you know make it through the hoops of getting into medical school but it was largely a brute force technique but when i came to medical school i realized the the knowledge load that we had to learn was just tremendous and it was largely around memorizing uh memorizing information and so i was like okay i could probably just try to do more of what got me here but that's probably not gonna work so how can I be, you know, work harder, or work smarter, not harder? And so I started digging around on the internet and looking for articles about effective learning strategies. Because, you know, in medicine, we, the, one of the core ideas is, the, is evidence-based medicine, like EBM. It's, it's, it's the first thing they teach us about how to be a good doctor. And I was like, well, then why aren't we applying that same strategy to learning? It's not as if people haven't been studying how to learn things, but and you and your colleagues have been doing that, uh, you know, in, in, in the lab and in your, in your practices, but that information wasn't available to me. Make a long story short, I dug around, I found some good, I found some articles, 
uh, online, like popular ones. Like there's this very um, prominent one in Wired magazine about this flashcard program called Super Memo, which was which is basically like the first flashcard program for space uh, retrieval. And I read that and I was fascinated. It applied to all the nerdy or nerdy things that I I think about how to like learn learn uh, effectively. And so. I was like, okay, this is cool. It, it, so that introduced the idea of uh, space, uh, spacing and retrieval. And so from there, I, I started to seek out tools that would help me to do spaced and retrieval practice. Um, and I came across this, this uh, now it's very popular, this flashcard program called Anki that basically uh, builds in uh, the spacing effect and the testing effect and I used that during my first couple of years of medical school. And I was like, you know, I, I thought I had a decent memory, but I think this just enhanced like so much my, my abilities. And it really showed me the power of retrieval in, versus like just like studying stuff over and over again. So that was that was that was the beginning. It was first year of med school and finding this tool called Anki and not even really realizing what I was doing. And then after the fact, realizing that it. I was applying these strategies of spacing and testing and retrieval. So yeah, for those people who haven't heard our podcast before, there may be new listeners. Just to clarify, retrieval practice is this idea of bringing information to mind from memory. So rather than pouring over your textbook or notes, you're actually recalling that information or retrieving it from memory. And the idea of spacing, it can get fairly complex, but the idea is simply that instead of cramming your studying using retrieval practice, ideally, the information over periods of time. So coming back to that same information multiple times between when you first encounter it and then you're tested on it later. So keeping that knowledge fresh by practicing retrieving the information, uh, that would be spaced retrieval practice. And the, fl the apps such as Anki, enable you to do that because they kind of schedule those those spaces for you right that's right yeah that's that was the the key right because as you as you and, and dr sumaraki and others have been have, uh, kind of proposing it's it's not that these ideas need fancy tools right like retrieval is just basically asking your brain to generate something you learned and uh, you can space it out but that gets really cumbersome once you start getting beyond a couple dozen facts and so these, these tools like Anki, and now they're actually a lot more, um, help you to do the scheduling and the testing without you having to manage all that. And that's like where a lot of the power is. And so that really helped me out a ton during those first years where I had to just absorb a lot of knowledge and then retrieve it on high stakes exams and, and also in, in the clinical uh, setting. So I'm curious what kind of information and knowledge you tried to learn using these kinds of methods. Was it specifically facts or was it more than that? Definitely factual, like, like factual knowledge. Like, and by that, I mean like something that this protein has this function, right? Or the definition of, uh, of uh, hemostasis is this. That kind of knowledge like lends itself perfectly to uh, to things like Anki, things that can go on a digital flashcard. But you can also like do more relational and like kind of conceptual knowledge too. For example, like what what happens to uh, the TSH, which is a, which is a hormone when thyroid uh, hormone goes down, or what happens to aldosterone when volume levels uh, of the blood go up. 
So you can definitely make it more complex and you know, it doesn't even have to be words. Like, so like anatomy, right? You, one of the popular strategies for using tools like Anki is image occlusion. You basically take a picture of different labeled parts uh, of let's say under the arm and you can cover up the labels and then you can test yourself on retrieving the name of the, of the thing that you see, right? The muscle that you see, flexor digitorum profundus or whatever it is. Um, so there are lots of like, I, I think actually if you're creative and this is actually uh, maybe one of the things where medical students struggle is how to encapsulate whatever you need to learn in the form of a question. Hmm, that's really interesting. And, uh, you know, you mentioned also the potential of using pictures and diagrams, and that could be also another effective strategy. So dual coding, the idea of combining visuals and words. So I know that in the case you were talking about, the material lends itself very well to being visual, right? Because yeah. you might need to identify something um, anatomical. So it's important to think about the match between the information and the format, but also trying to bring together uh, different formats in order to help remember some information rather than just looking at words. So I was wondering if you found any useful books to help you with learning uh, these strategies and developing them specifically for uh, the medical field. I know you mentioned that there wasn't really all that much information in your own studies to help guide you as to how to use these strategies. Yeah. So at the time, at the time, 2010, 2011, there were there was the primary literature. Right. So uh, there was this paper in science, you know, so like I. I've always been kind of a research bug. And so even before I started my PhD, I would always try to go dig into the papers that were uh, studying the things that I thought were interesting. And so I think it was like 2011, there was a paper from uh, the Carpicky Lab in Science that, uh, you know, the, you know, a lot of, you know, educational psychology, making it to the journal Science, like that's like, that is like really a big deal. And so I took note of that. And that paper uh, showed the superiority of testing versus restudying on some some like biological uh, like knowledge in, in undergraduates and so that actually was like something that was important for me but there it wasn't like there was a uh, easy to read book uh, that had all the all these strategies nicely packaged for uh, a non-expert audience which which I which I, I was a non-expert audience but since that time I'll say right so over the years there's been uh, you, uh, you and your colleagues, I know you have a new book out. Uh, there was Make It Stick that came out in 2013. There was uh, How We Learn, I think, by the author is uh, Carrie. Um, so now there are a number of options. And so that would have been great. But at the time, it was basically the literature, a couple, you know, lay articles that I found online. And uh, there was a, a strong kind of community around this Anki uh, program that really uh, reinforced these ideas. Um, but it wasn't, there wasn't a, there wasn't like kind of a, a one-stop shop, but since you asked, uh, I, I was so, uh, I was so kind of, uh, impressed with the way that these strategies helped me and some of my classmates that I wanted to share this information with my, with my medical student colleagues. And so a classmate of mine, uh, Peter Way and I, we decided to kind of dig into the literature and write a, write a guide for other medical students on the things that we had learned about these, these like the testing effect, spacing, uh, retrieval practice, um, also like a, um, a, a kind of elaborative learning, meaningful learning, and other things that had been shown to improve uh, retention and retrieval of, uh, of information. And so we have that, it's called uh, Learning Medicine, an Evidence-Based Guide in 
Uh, we have a website, uh, learningmedicinebook.com. And that's actually, it's, it's, I think it's been uh, well-received. Uh, we get a lot of uh, people uh, uh, taking a look at the book and getting some positive feedback from it. But like I said, now in 2018, there are a ton of options. And I should also say that uh, since, I was, um, since I was in my preclinical years of medical school, these, these strategies have grown like wildfire amongst medical students. Uh, and I don't think it's because they're reading books, but it's because word, just word got out and they're really effective. And secondly, there are a number of tools now that are made for medical students that build in spacing and testing. They're commercial, they're commercial products that you buy them, they're study aids, but they're so effective that whether students even know like the rationale of what they're doing, they're doing it and they're seeing the benefits. And I think ultimately that's really what sells. And so there are a number of products uh, now that build, that, that build in spacing and testing and retrieval practice uh, around medical knowledge. And that has really made it grow within the medical student community. It's really impressive actually. Wow, that is super cool. So there's a lot of things you said that I want to unpack. First sure. of all, that's amazing about your book. Uh, where can it be purchased, that book? Is it on Amazon or? It is on Amazon and also on our website, learningmedicinebook.com. Okay, and so we will link to that in the show notes so that people can check it out if they want to. And then you mentioned that the strategies are now much more popular amongst med students, which is really cool. But then there's the issue of understanding why they're effective right right do you think that that's a necessary part of it do you think that students need to understand why they're effective in order to use them effectively that's a really good question i used to think yes i used to think yes and that's actually why i wrote that book i was like oh well if i can just convince them that this is the better way but actually in the end honestly doctors and medical students are really practical so results speak for themselves, and so I think I think students are willing to do wherever they can get the results. Now I think making the jump into that because it's not exactly intuitive, right? I, I like how many people I've studied now when they ask students, "What do you think the best way to study is?" and, the first, and they almost always say, "Oh, restudying, right? Reading the book again." And so I think I think getting over your initial intuitions about what's effective that's kind of hard. But in medical school, right, you're with a lot of other people. And when you see some other people like getting good results or, and espousing a certain method, you usually give it a, give it a try. So I think, I think whether or not students know that like the actual kind of uh, cognitive psychological principles that they're applying, they're doing it because these products are building it in. And then I think they buy into it and then maybe they dig into what they were actually doing. Some of them, but I think for a lot of them, it's like for a lot of people, the results are what matters. And if if uh, and if testing yourself multiple times was getting you the results, you'll do it again. So I would I can't say exactly what percentage of students like know exactly what they're doing or like what the principles are uh, underneath what they're doing. Maybe it's 50 50, but I think ultimately, regardless, the results the results speak for themselves uh, and so if you're getting the results you'll just keep doing it it sounds like there's almost two ways in you know yeah. so there's one which would be understanding the process the mechanisms and 
you know, kind of buying into the science and then the other way would be just experiential. So you try it and it works. The problem with that second approach sometimes is that it does take a little while for these strategies to be effective. You have to persevere and you have to also test memory over a longer period of time. So for example, if you just have a very immediate test or if you simply ask students which one felt better, you're going to find the opposite thing where students think, that or feel that reading and rereading is more effective for memory, say, than practicing retrieval. And so there's some, you know, you you kind of have to have that experience over a longer term to see that it actually works versus trying it once and then going back to, you know, the original strategy. So I think some combination of an explanation behind why it works and, you know, how it works and then also trying it out with the knowledge that it's not that every single time you practice retrieval, you're immediately going to feel like you've learned information. In fact, it's yes. going to feel really hard and feel like you haven't, but in the long run, you will. So, you know, that's where sort of the experiential only approach, I feel like has sometimes backfired, even for me with my students, because I feel like sometimes they'll try it out once and because it doesn't feel as good as what they're used to, they might go back to just reading and rereading. That's that's a that's spot on. I actually yeah, that's an excellent point. And since you bring that up, I'll say that when I so I kind of became like a, a zealous evangelist for for this when I saw how good it was. And I would tell my my colleagues like this is like again 2010 2011. Now now lots of people do it, but back then it was not so popular. And a lot of them would start and they would get really overwhelmed by it because it is challenging, right? Like 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 testing yourself is definitely more challenging than rereading. And not only that. Uh, at least, at least is my experience. You need to be pers- like persistent in doing it for a long time, right? So I know there is question in the in the literature about what is the right spacing retrieve uh, interval, right? How long do you need to retrieve for before memory becomes like you know I guess quote unquote permanent if that ever even happens. And but basically my 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 feeling was I needed to you needed to do it every day, whether or not you felt like it. So one of the powerful things about these space repetition programs is they schedule for you and it takes all of the kind of discretion away from you about when you study so basically it's like like it's a it's a schedule you show up every single day and i open up my iphone or my computer and there's a number of reviews that i need to do for these like digital flashcards and i did them like 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 it was a job for actually for two years with the exception of like my wedding and honeymoon which i have no complaints about not you know doing my 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 anki cards on that time but I did it for two years. I did it for two years because that's, we have this, this very high stakes exam. It's kind of like the SAT or the MCAT for medical schools called step one. And it's like hugely important for your career. And so that's like a two year, that's two years out from the beginning of medical school. And so like, I felt like I couldn't stop. Like I, I needed to do it throughout. And I think ultimately, so I needed to, so for me, I had to believe in the strategy. Like I had to believe in the method Otherwise, I don't think I would have lasted that long. And so for a lot of students, they try, they get totally overwhelmed by the number of reviews. And if they don't, I guess, have that feeling like this is worth it and this is staying the course, it's very easy to flame out. And that does happen a lot, actually. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a huge amount of information that needs to be learned, it sounds like. And so, you know, it's like students can't really afford to use the ineffective strategies because it's almost just impossible to actually learn the information in the limited time available without using efficient strategies. 
You can do it, but you, but your but your life is taken. I mean, you people do it, right? You can do the brute force method. It just is like not really good for your life. I think for our, I think there's just you don't have to do it like that. But like you can get by like that. Like a lot of people do, and you know, like you know, another thing is like a lot of students, whether they know it or not, kind of converge on things that are effective, even if they don't know that it is. So for example, like some of the smartest people in my class like who who didn't need like tools like Anki like I did I mean these are the kinds of people who could like read an entire textbook and like you know regurgitate it the next day there are those people they're rare but they exist one of the things they would do though is they would like do a lot of practice questions they, they would be like Alex I, I don't even read that much I just do a lot of questions like the, these kinds of question banks that we have and so I think whether they knew that that was like testing versus like studying, they were doing it probably because they were getting results. And some of the, like, like I said, some of the people who got the highest grades in my, in my school would exclusively almost do practice questions of like realistic clinical vignettes versus like reading the book. It's amazing actually. Yeah. So actually that leads us really well into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is what about the kind of learning that isn't, really possible to put into Anki cards because it's practical and you're having to do it in real life and on the spot. So presumably when you become a doctor, I don't right. know much about it, but you can't just, um, you know, you're not, it's not about remembering specific information. It's about applying it, about, you know, treating patients, right? right? The learning doesn't stop when you finish med school and you take that big exam, it has to continue so that yeah. you can actually put the information into practice. So what kinds of strategies, if any, do you think you will continue using in your practice as opposed to preparing for the exams? Right. No, that's, that's a great, that's a great question. Right. Because like, yeah, it's, it's fine to perform at school, but ultimately this is all to be building up to be doing things, right? Like we're, we're all training to do something in the world. And if you're a medical student, you're training to treat patients and be a physician. So ultimately, I mean, right, there, there's no magic here. The word is practice. So what, when, you're, when, you're doing, when you're doing your Anki cards, right, you, you would call that you're practicing, you're retrieving and you're practicing. Uh, in terms of, of uh, let's say procedural skills, there's no substitute for just doing it many times over. Um, similarly, uh, if it's something like if you're, if it's knowledge retrieval, right? So physicians have to bring to bear a lot of knowledge towards whatever it is, giving a diagnosing a patient, giving them uh, a treatment. The, the, the same thing there is, uh, continuing to retrieve. So it's not necessarily an Anki card, but like you're, you're, you know, you're seeing a patient with a certain presentation, you're then, uh, kind of querying your long-term memory. It's like, okay. Well, what's going on here? What do I need to do for this person? What disease do they have? What drug should I give them? Or what intervention should I do? So basically I'd say for lifelong learning, it would be to identify the knowledge that you need. That's actually a really hard skill, identifying the knowledge that you need, doing something that keeps it in your head, right? So if it's the, the, the rule that I've kind of converged on, if it's something that's rare that you're not going to encounter a lot, that's really good for these like, kind of uh, memory prostheses like, like Anki, because that will help you review that probably more than you'll see it in the real world. But if it's something that's common that you're gonna see a lot in your practice, that basically is your space retrieval practice, right? And, and that kind of gets at the point that these tools, these strategies, they're not like artificial. They're basically, I think, reporting on things that are innate to our cognition. And so 
the reason spacing and retrieval works, in my opinion, is because it's recapitulating the way we learn in the world. If you see something and encounter something enough times with frequency, our brains think, oh, that's important. You should probably remember that. And so I would say for the things that are common in your practice as a physician, probably it's not necessary to use something like an Anki. But for the things that are still important but rare, things you uh, like some new study that comes out that you read about or some disease that is a, a quote unquote zebra, something that's not common but important to not miss, those are really good things for something like an Anki. That's a really interesting approach to it. I really like that. So for the last little bit of the podcast, what I wanted to ask you about is actually going beyond even medical practice and thinking about you or yourself more as, you know, an academic. So you you did a PhD and presumably that means that you know a lot about a very specific topic and you had to engage in activities such as writing papers, presenting at conferences, grant writing, and things like that. And so do you think that any of these learning strategies are applicable to those kinds of situations where there is not a specific technical exam? I mean, similarly to practice, but at least with practice, you have the same scenarios come up over and over and it's clearer where the memory component is there perhaps. But in doing a PhD, I feel like we sometimes have students at that level say, well, all these strategies are no longer no longer relevant because now I'm doing you know, uh, something deep analysis and so i i'm not going to rely on these memorization strategies what do you think about that so it's a different it's a it it's there are different tasks in a different environment so i would say first off in medical school and medicine the reason there's such an emphasis on memorization is because well one there are these high stakes exams which aren't really good good reasons to i mean there are good reasons i guess to memorize because you want to do well on the exam but it's like do like should you really be like trying to get all this knowledge in your head or like could you you know just look it up when you need it right kind of just in time and so there are instances though like in medicine where it's really necessary to have the knowledge in your head like you wouldn't be able to look it up so for example if you're a surgeon and you're in the operating room right you you can't stop the surgery to go look up online what what that and you know what that structure is or like what procedure you need to do or similarly if you're in an emergent situation, like you're in the emergency room, you have to act immediately. There isn't time to look something up. And even and even if you do have the luxury of looking something up, if you have it in your mind, then it's definitely quicker to retrieve it than having to go look for it. So if you're, you know, if you're the doctor and you're seeing a patient in your, in your office, yes, yeah, sure, you could look up which drug to use, but if you happen to have that knowledge in mind, it could be a lot quicker. Um, or, or, you know, what thing you're going to ask about in your, uh, in your exam and history, it's a lot better to not have to, to go look that up. So in medicine, I would say there are a lot of instances where memory, having knowledge in mind, like in your head, without the ability to look it up, is frequent and necessary. In PhD world, uh, I basically always could look up the information that I needed. So I could always find the paper. I can I can go go back and look at the paper, or I can go to the book. So there was less of an emphasis on memorization, but but that doesn't mean that memorization there is not necessary for generating ideas, for writing papers, for writing, uh, for basically synthesizing the information that I want to you know or the ideas that I want to put forth. It's still incredibly powerful to have that in mind. And so I would say uh, thing, things like these strategies absolutely apply, but I would say that 
I didn't always need to uh, employ them because I could I could rely on other things. So you and I before we talked about this idea of an external brain, so some kind of repository for the things you learn. Um, that is something I spent a lot of time on during PhD uh, during my PhD studies. Is okay, so I read I I read papers, right? That's the currency of academia. You you read a publication, something in the literature. There's some information in there, and you need to actually keep that information somewhere safe because you're going to have to use it again, right? So anytime you say something, you advance an idea, you have to cite it. You have to refer to whoever whoever produced the result or said the idea first. And so I spent a lot of time coming up with ways to encapsulate, like kind of capture that information and have it in a way that I could go back and look for. And so uh, that was something I struggled with for a long time, but basically I've, I've adopted a system of uh, reading papers, extracting little nuggets, making, uh, and then having kind of a, a note repository that that gives me breadcrumbs back to the original source, and that's kind of like a massive external brain that I keep now, and that took a long time to develop. But now, when I go to write my papers, when I go to write my grants, I ha I can search my kind of my personal Google for for lack of a better term, and I and I can go quickly back to the references. So in terms of, of uh, memory, right, I need to remember enough to get back to the source, right? So I need, the worst kinds of things are unknown, unknown unknowns. I need known unknowns. So I might not know the exact, let's say, uh, detail, but I need to remember, oh, so-and-so generated that result in that 2010 paper. I like, let me go back and look at the original. That, that I did a, a lot more of that during PhD and I feel like this external brain that I keep was really useful. And that's something that I didn't do as much of in medicine, but still, uh, so, but I definitely also memorized things, but it wasn't as kind of intentional as the way I do it in medicine. Yeah, so I always like to think about it in terms of you go to a conference and then you're going to bump into someone inevitably that you're going to want to impress, whether it's somebody who you hope is going to employ you one day or review your paper or whatever it is. And there's no way to prepare for that test, right? You're not going to literally like study things leading up to the conference, but you're going to hope that you'll be able to come up with intelligent things to say when you're talking to this person. Right. And that's going to depend on you having exposed yourself frequently, you know, in space, with spaces in between to information that's likely to be useful. So whether right. that is, you know, um, trying to retrieve key points of a study or, you know, figuring out, remembering who published what, it doesn't have to be a formal practice, but, you know, sometimes I like to try to retrieve, you know, what the paper, uh, what the year and the authors are before I go looking for it. In fact, I kind of have to retrieve at yeah. least part of it, right? In order to go look for it. How Sometimes we can think of a study, but we have no idea who did it or, you know, what materials they used or whatever, then we're not going to find it. But if I can remember at least one of the author names and the fact that they used Swahili English word pairs and the fact that it was published in 2011, I can narrow my search and find it. That's right. That's right. We are, you know, it's impossible to walk around with everything offloaded to external memory. You still need those cues in order to then be able to find that information. Absolutely, absolutely, and and you know, so uh, I was going to ask you, uh, uh, Dr. Weinstein, like during your during your like, I mean, you've been you've been a scholar of this field for a while. Um, I I found when I was like during doing my PhD 
that when I would like read something, it was very meaningful to me, like extremely meaningful to me. And I didn't need like an Anki to uh, remember it because it was so relevant to the thing that I wanted. It, it fit into kind of my mental framework that I found that I was able to memorize things like way easier than random medical facts. And I think that kind of gets at the importance of like having, having the things that you learn be meaningful or be related to something that's important to you versus just like random stuff in a book. That's a very good point. I mean, the sort of the whole point of the PhD, right, is that you're digging in very deep into one specific topic and you're becoming effectively the leading expert in the world on that topic. It's funny when you tell PhD students that they're like, no way, me, yeah. I'm the leading expert. And they're like, yep, that's what happens when you do a PhD. You, no one else has spent as long digging into this information as you have. And so then, yeah, that, that spe very specific information ties in so closely with, you know, whatever story that you're trying to create you know, in the broad sense that it it's much easier to remember than individual disconnected facts, right? So that's also a part of it because you build up a schema of your understanding of a particular field. Right. And so then, you know, right. this study that found this result is like a key piece of it. So then you're not remembering it independently. You're remembering it as part of the whole to say, you know, Retrieval practice is effective, and then it was demonstrated with these materials, and then it was demonstrated at a delay, and it was demonstrated with sixth graders. Like, you know, different studies pop into my head, but they're all part of the same concept rather than just being these studies that I've kind of memorized, right? So right. I think that, um, you know, just to end on a positive note about these strategies, well, we've been talking about nothing but positives of these strategies, but another positive thing about these strategies is that they're very amenable to different types of materials, including facts but also connected information so another strategy for example is elaborative interrogation where you ask yourself how and why questions about how things work or why they work and you could think about you know that happens basically uh, automatically if you're doing a PhD because when you read something you're you're thinking about how this new finding relates to the findings that you've already read whether it contradicts them what theory could explain the contradiction and so on and so forth so you're actually just spontaneously doing elaborative interrogation That's right. whenever you're reading something um, for your PhD 100% yeah so this is what I was saying before I think these principles that we're naming are really trying to emulate what really happens when we learn in the world in a, in a, in a robust way. And the PhD kind of forces you uh, to do that. But I think ultimately, like all these, like, like I think Dan, Daniel Willingham said this in one of his books I was reading, that kind of uh, uh, thinking, right? Thinking is like what makes memory. So whether we call it retrieving flashcards or writing or whatever, ultimately, thinking about stuff is what I think allows you to memorize it. So in the case of whatever it is we're becoming expert on, the reason those things that I read in the paper or that I hear at a conference or that someone tells me uh, is so much easier to memorize than things that I did in medical school is because I actually think about them. Whereas in the things that I read from medical textbooks, yeah, I think about them, but it's more like passive reception versus like, me really ruminating on something. And I think that's just a very, a, a difference in the kind of, just the kinds of work and learning. But I would say as a general kind of takeaway to everybody, no matter what you're doing, like the more you think about what you're doing, like play with it in your mind, for lack of a better word, I think the easier it is to, to retrieve in the future versus just letting it go in and then stopping 
and not thinking about it again. Yeah, and I think the way I would say the same thing is if you are playing with it in your mind, you're doing retrieval practice. So I guess we're saying the same yeah. thing in, in two different ways. Exactly, yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us. This was a pleasure and it was great to talk to you. Likewise, thank you so much for the opportunity. This podcast is funded by the Chartered College of Teaching and listeners like you. To support our work and to gain access to exclusive content, check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash learning scientists.